Thank you this morning. Aren't you thankful for the name of Jesus? You can do better than that. Aren't you thankful for the name of Jesus? Well, this, uh, today we are in our second week of our Fight for Your Family uh, series. I would encourage you to get your bulletin out. Uh, hopefully you received one when you walked in this morning. Get your bulletin out, and uh, I would encourage you to take notes, get your Bible out. Uh, whether you physically have your Bible, or maybe you have your iPad or your phone, and you have the Bible app, uh, but get that out and follow along with us. I'm going to read some uh, scripture this morning, and uh, uh, I was wondering how many may not come back after knowing what we're talking about, right? So sometimes you are a little worried. Um, how many of you know the expression, uh, this just kind of came into my mind this morning, I wanted to ask the question, how many of you know the expression, uh, when the when the pastor is stepping on your toes, how many of you know that expression? Okay, oh, keep your hands up if you know that, because I was figuring this this section did not have any clue what that meant, and I was pretty accurate. Uh, and, and so I'm only asking the question because it came into my mind this morning. I tweeted out uh, that men, you may want to wear your steel toe boots today uh, because I'm going to step all over your toes. And I thought, you know, I don't know what I don't know where the age is that. People don't even know what that means anymore, all right? So, uh, in other words, if a preacher's stepping on your toes, it means he's talking to you, right? Are you guys, are you guys tracking with me? Okay, for those younger generation that don't know what we're talking about. But we're going to talk about marriage again, and, and I hope that if you were not here last Sunday, that you will take the time, if you haven't already, to go online and watch the message from last Sunday uh, we had some special guests here. My brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, Aaron and Jill Young, were here. And uh, they did an amazing job sharing their story. Uh, how many of you were here for that last week? Can you, uh, didn't they do an amazing job? And I uh, appreciate all of you guys that have said things about that and encouragement to them, I know. Um, and the truth is that that's the first, last week was the first time they had ever gotten up in a church setting and told their story. And uh, so I know it seemed like they had done that a thousand times because they did such a great job, but uh, I know they had spent a lot of time praying about that. And so if you were not here last Sunday, you missed a great uh, message through their story, and I would encourage you to go onto our website and uh, look that up and watch it. Uh, if you want to find it on Facebook, share it with, with your friends, um, because it was just a really encouragement for us in marriage. And, and so what I want to make sure that we understand, and we talked about it last week, is that marriage and the family is under attack. Do you agree, yes or no? And Satan is attacking the family. And, and the truth is, we sometimes like to think that we're the first generation to, uh, to experience the attack of Satan on our family, but Satan attacked the family, the very first family, right? He attacked the family in Genesis chapter 3, and when Adam and Eve fell into sin, and, and the attack on the family has been ever since. And the reason that, that, that Satan is, uh, has an all-out attack on marriages and on families is because Satan knows that as the family is weak, so the church is also weak. If you have a church filled with strong families, then you'll have a strong church. If you have a church filled with weak families, then you have a weak church. And so Satan wants families to be weak. And, and, and let's, let's go a step farther in that to understand that if the leader of the home is a weak spiritual leader, guess what? The home is going to be a, a, 
weak spiritually. And if the home is weak spiritually, we've just said the church is going to be weak. And so uh, here's, men, what I want you to understand, and I've, I, I've never shied away from saying this. Men, it's your responsibility to lead your wife and your children spiritually. That's the responsibility God gave to you. Adam failed his responsibility because he was passive. And the number one reason in our culture today for men not to be leading spiritually is because just like Adam, they are passive. We want to just sit back and let our wife take care of everything. And I'm telling you, God wants you to lead your home spiritually. And if you're not leading your home spiritually, then your home is not as well as it should be. So men, again, I'm going to challenge you this morning. Are you ready to fight for your family? Again, I'm going to say like I did last week. Are you sure you're ready to fight for your family? It is a fight, isn't it? It is a fight. We looked at Nehemiah chapter 4 last week. In Nehemiah chapter 4, it's there on your bulletin, verse number 14. We looked at this and we saw that, that uh, the, the, the kind of launching verse for our series this week, uh, this, this current series, is Nehemiah stood there and he's, as he had burned for what the, the, the walls of Jerusalem looked like and the, and the reason that he was so worried about this, the reason he was so burdened for the walls of Jerusalem, obviously in that culture the walls would signify the strength of that city but also actually fortify the city. But more importantly, it wasn't so much about the strength of the city, it wasn't so much about... Uh, what people thought of the city is that what they thought of God. The walls that were ruined were a shame to their God. And how unfortunate that it took years and years for someone to get a burden in their heart to fight for the glory of God. And so, men, it's not that we just want you to fight for your marriage. It's not that we just want to fight for your family. We want you to do that. But the ultimate purpose in fighting for your family is for the glory of God. Are you willing to fight for the glory of God? That's what we talked about last week. Now, I want to read from this morning, just just kind of for clarification, to make sure we understand. Let me read a few quotes here talking about marriage. It says, The great mystery of marriage is that covenantal relationship of husband and wife is a portrait of the covenantal relationship of Christ and his church. Listen to this. Marriage is from God. It's about God. It's to God. And it's for God. So we neglect God at our peril. Marriage is for God, by God, from God. So who do you think we need to go to and help in our marriage? God. Let me read what, um, just for clarification so you will be clear on this, what our articles of faith and what our bylaws state, what we believe about marriage God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. It is composed of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. Specifically in marriage is the united of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It's God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship. And so we believe as a church what scripture teaches is that God designed for one man with one woman for a lifetime. And that's what we uphold as marriage. Are we willing to fight for that? Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 2. So let's go back to the beginning, right? Genesis chapter number 2. We're going to start reading in uh, verse number 15. So Genesis 2, verse 15. We're going to go 15 through 25. 
It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Okay, we're in Genesis 2, and now we're in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Again, who was he giving this command to? The man. It's the man's responsibility to make sure they did not eat. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is good that man should be alone. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And of the ground, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what, would, what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not a found that help were comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman, he brought her to the man. And Adam said, wow. Okay, I didn't say that. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. We understand through this verse in chapter 24 what God's plan was for man and for woman. That they would, as it says here, leave father and mother, that they would cleave to one another. They would be joined together with one another in a covenant relationship for a lifetime. And that's what God's standard for marriage is. Now, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 19, in Matthew chapter 19, we see Jesus is approached, the Pharisees, as always, when they approach and ask Jesus a question, it was not for their benefit, it wasn't because they were trying to learn, it wasn't because they wanted to hear uh, what the Messiah, Jesus, wanted to teach them, it was because they were always trying to trip him up, they were always trying to confuse him, they were always trying to make sure that, uh, to point out if there was any fault or false teaching of Christ. And so they asked him the question in Matthew 19, verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Which is not really the, what Moses had said, right? But they're kind of twisting the words of Moses anyways. Look at verse 4, and he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who has made, made them at the beginning made them male and female. Verse 5, and here's where Jesus is going to quote from Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one. He adds this statement, therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Or in old school terms, right, when you were, maybe when some of you got married, let no man put asunder, right? So you guys understand. This was God's plan. One man, one woman for a lifetime. Till death do us part. Um, an older couple in our church in Kansas, they, uh, they were happily married for 60 plus years or whatever, right? And her famous uh, quote was always, I've never thought of a divorce, but I've often thought of murder, right? So I guess that's her clause, till death do us part. So that's not really the intent of the scripture, right? 
And before we go any farther, let, let me take a moment to, to just pause for a moment and interject some thoughts. The church's goal is always to point to you to the, to the standard of what Scripture teaches. One man, one woman for a lifetime. But also understand that Hallmark is not a church filled with perfect people. Would you agree? Right? If you thought it was perfect, you probably need to leave because you're going to ruin our reputation, right? Some of you will get that in a minute. I'm not perfect. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? We're not perfect. We want to point to the standard that God gives in Scripture, but we also want to understand that we don't live in a perfect world either, do we? Sometimes things happen. And sometimes divorce is inevitable. Here's the reality is that forgiveness takes only one person. Like, I can forgive you even if you've never asked me to forgive you. You can forgive me even though I've never asked for forgiveness. Are, are you tracking with me? Reconciliation takes two people. So I can forgive someone, but if they're not willing to reciprocate and to forgive me or to reconcile, then guess what? We're never going to what? Reconcile, right? I think there's a perfect picture of this in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so forgiveness is for everyone, correct? But my relationship with Jesus Christ cannot be reconciled until I repent of my sins. It's no fault of his. His end is he's done everything he could. Are you, are you tracking with me? He's done everything he could. He's offered forgiveness. And I, until I was 17 years old, did not want to reconcile with Jesus my Savior. I didn't want to ask for forgiveness of my sins. So it takes two people to reconcile. And we understand that sometimes that's just not going to happen. Are you, are you tracking with me? So we want to point to the God's standard of marriage, but we also want to extend grace to those who, who that didn't work out. That our church, and, and I hope that what we did last week in front of everyone uh, would let you understand that we, we want to point to the perfect standard, but realize that all of us fall short of the perfect standard in many ways. And so as we point to what marriage should be and what God intended marriage to be, we, won't, we, don't, want to under, we, we don't want to point judgment on you. Are you, guys, are you guys following me? Aren't you thankful that God gives grace? Amen. I'm thankful for grace. But we're going to look this morning at kind of some practical thoughts on your bulletin here about how we often view marriage. Okay, most of us view marriage as a contract. Now, how many of you signed a contract for your cell phone? How many of you read every word of your contract and said cell phone, right? Contracts, you can see here, are based on mutual distrust. Okay, so a contract really is a way out for me. If you don't live up to the contract, 
and my service isn't as good as you've said it's going to be, right? If there's, a way out of the, if there's a way out of this agreement, if there's a way out of this mutual agreement that we've come to, then the contract, I'm going to read through the contract and find my way out. Are you, are you following me? A contract. So what's the difference? The contract is based on mutual distrust. A covenant is based on mutual commitment or trust. Mutual commitment that we are committed to this partnership, we are committed to this relationship, not based on if you live up to the contract or not. Now here's the problem. In our culture, we have become so uh, consumer-minded, okay, and it, and, it, and it goes into every aspect of our life. And what, what do I mean by consumer-minded? It means really this, that my desires, my wants... That's what's supreme. If I can't have it my way, then we can't have it anyway. Do, do you see that and how that plays out? In, I mean, uh, it, it even plays out in every aspect of our life. It, my, uh, my daughter got to experience that this week. Okay, so she's working a job, and at her job, she was cleaning the tables at the restaurant, and this uh, wonderful couple filled with love, joy, and peace in their heart started griping at her about the music that was playing in the restaurant. What is this music? And she's like, uh, I don't know. You know, just explaining what style of music it is. And they said, look around the room. Do you think any of us even like this kind of music? And she's like, I don't know. Probably not, but I can't do anything about it, right? It's just on the corporate station, whatever is playing. Is that a consumer-minded mentality? even said the words, your customers don't like this. Okay, uh, you, you know the catchphrase, I think it was Burger King that says, have it your way, right? I don't know why you're eating at Burger King, you shouldn't know that, but I, I, it spills into every area of our life, doesn't it? If it's not exactly how I want it, then it can't be right, and I sure don't like it, right? So some of you in here this morning are hot, and you're frustrated because you're hot. Some of you are cold and you're frustrated that you're cold. Probably more of you cold than hot, right? For it's, it's interesting, in the same audience, the same crowd, some of you the music was too loud, some of you it was too soft, some of you liked it, some of you didn't like it, right? I'm, I'm right, correct? Okay. Here's the reality. Did you know that not every song we sing on Sunday morning is my favorite? Don't, don't tell anybody. Don't tell Dave, all right? Don't tell Dave. But because uh, by nature I'm selfish, by nature I'm worried most about me and not anyone else, it affects my attitude, doesn't it? It affects how I worship. It affects how I treat my wife. And so through the lens of consumerism, we have this idea that marriage is based on a contract. Look, look at the next one there. It says, a contract is based on me. covenant is based on we. And so in case we're wondering here, God's intent was that our marriage is to be a covenant marriage. Not based on me, but based on we. The mantra of the contractual relationship is this. You adjust to me. Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning, but how many of us went into our marriage with that attitude, 
you adjust to me. And how did that go for you, right? Because here's the reality. We have two people, James says, that stumble in many ways. And these two people have entered into a what they've considered a contractual marriage that it is you adjust to me. And if both parties are wanting the other person to adjust to them, how does that go? How many of you had a rough first couple years in your marriage? Raise your hand. How many of you still have? No, I'm not going to ask that question. (laughs) The mantra of the covenantal relationship. We adjust to God together. We adjust to God together. We've come out of our home. We've entered a new home. We've become one flesh. And again, and, and together, we move towards who? God. And as both parties are mutually striving to pursue God, guess what? We're pursuing each other. Pursuing God first. I tell people all the time, almost every ceremony, wedding ceremony I've done, I'm saying, now, here's the reality. A lot of people are going to tell you you're about to get married and everybody's happy and it's all great, you know. And and everyone's going to tell you that uh, to the groom, the most important relationship you have is now to your bride. And to the bride, the most important relationship you now have is to your husband. It's not a true statement. The true statement is to the, to the groom, your most important relationship, how you can love your wife best is you love God best and you love God first. To the bride, the best way for you to love your husband is first love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so your number one relationship is to God. And as I pursue God, God teaches me how to love my wife. But again, culturally, we're more worried about me than we. How can she meet my needs? And we enter marriage with the wrong idea. It's this contract. How can she meet my needs? So look on the bulletin. We're going to keep going. Covenant partnership is summarized with godly leadership Godly leadership and mutual submission. Covenant partnership is summarized with godly leadership and mutual submission. And let me make this statement. Many marriages today suffer because we as men do not display what's on the screen. Godly leadership. I heard this statement this week, and it just kind of startled me. I never thought about it this way. Before I get it to you, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and and we'll get to the statement in a minute. Ephesians 5, verse 21, it's on your bulletin this morning. Follow along with me. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And and unfortunately, in our culture, most of the time, us men, we like to skip verse 21. Because verse 22 for us men sounds really awesome, doesn't it? Can I get an amen? Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. 
That's, that's our favorite verse, right? My, my son, who still needs to grow up a little bit, okay, he's not here, I can say that this morning. His plan this summer as he was going back to Bible college, he was going to make a shirt that had a woman on the front of it cooking with the question, what's cooking? And then the verse, Ephesians 5.22. Dumb. Dumb. If you see him, tell him, dumb. Just say Ephesians 5.22, what's cooking? Dumb. Right? I kind of thought it was funny, I'm going to be honest with you. And my wife said, dumb. Just dumb, right? Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And, and here's the issue, men. We want to skip over verse 21. We want to forget about verses 24 and verse 25, and we want to just land on verse number 22, don't we? And it hit me this week, as someone made this quote, he said this, that Jesus, after a long, hard day at work, didn't go home and lay on the couch with the remote. Your toes are bruised now, right? He washed the disciples' feet. He washed, turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. So you know the story. The, or of course, the culture was that even the, like the normal servant didn't wash the guest's feet. It was like the lowest servant washed the guest's feet. It was the worst job you could have. It was the most humbling job that you could have. And yet, as the disciples sat around with Jesus, not one of the disciples got up and, and offered to serve Jesus and wash his feet. You, you ever uh, watch people like, um, I, don't, I don't think Greg Wagner's here. He, Greg Wagner, he just annoys me, Okay. He's, he always sees somebody's need before I do. Sitting there talking, and he's over there taking the trash out. Or he's opening a door for someone. And it makes me angry because I didn't see it first. Anybody else like that? Okay. And, and some of, the rest of you are like, oh, let him take the trash out. I don't care. <laughs> I love your spirit. All right. I, I often wonder if the disciples had that reaction. I should have done that. But is it recorded anywhere in Scripture for the disciples to say, hold on, Jesus, let me do the rest of the disciples? Is that recorded anywhere? I don't, I don't remember reading it anywhere. So after this long day, the most disgusting job, Jesus goes around the room and he washes the feet of the disciples. Isn't that a wonderful picture of how Jesus served? And I wonder, men, does your wife feel like you serve her that well? 
My guess is, and I'm not going to ask my wife this publicly, my guess is no. My guess is that we do not serve our wives near to the degree that Jesus served you as the church. A couple weeks ago, uh, actually I think it was right before I went on my, on my trip to China, I was having lunch with somebody, and they, they kind of brought this topic up. And it, it, I'll be honest with you, I didn't say much in the conversation because I was kind of feeling guilty about the conversation. And their, their words, and, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but their words were basically, to me, was, I am learning how to serve my bride after 20-plus years of marriage. And what their statement was, that as I look at Jesus Christ and how Jesus served the church, continually serves the church, and how Jesus gave his life up for the church, the church being his bride, that I don't serve my wife near to the degree that Jesus served his wife, his bride. And it's easy for us as men to to stand up and say, uh, verse 22, submit wives to your husbands. And we forget the rest of the verse that says what? Husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. Have you ever felt like Jesus was commanding you to do something when you were in the attitude of, uh, let's just let's be in perspective here. Jesus hung on a cross and died for your sins so that you could have eternal life. It's, it's nothing that you earned. It's nothing that you deserved. It was a complete free gift of Jesus Christ to hang, to be brutally beaten. Why did he do it? Because he loved you and he wanted to serve you. Amen. So when you have that perspective... Does it make you want to serve Jesus Christ, yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. Now, I get it. A lot of times we don't keep that perspective on the forefront, and I'm, and I'm guilty of that. But when we really allow ourselves to remember and to emotionally go into that place where we think of Jesus hanging on the cross for me, You know what it leads me to want to do for my Savior? Serve Him. So as a husband, should I expect my wife to want to serve me if I don't conditionally, unconditionally lay my life down for her every single day and surrender my life to hers? See, we want the rewards, but we don't want the responsibility. My willing to love my bride like Christ loved his bride. And when I do, when I do, everything changes, doesn't it? You see, we broke the covenant with Jesus Christ by sinning. Jesus reestablished the covenant by dying on the cross for our sins. Men, it's very simple this morning. We think about what Christ did for us. How well do you serve your wife? How well do you love your bride? 
pursue God and pursue your spouse. For all of us in the room this morning, our number one responsibility is to pursue God. Remember when Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what he did? He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he added this, love your neighbor as yourself. I can't love my neighbor unless I first love who? God. And in the context of marriage, who's your closest neighbor? It's your spouse. Love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then love my spouse as myself. Would you close your eyes for a moment this morning? We're just going to have an opportunity this morning, a time of worship, a time of of response. Maybe for you uh, men and women, God has spoken to you that you've looked at marriage through the wrong lens. You've looked at it more as a contract, not a covenant. It's more about me than we. And maybe this morning God just revealed that to you and it's an opportunity in a moment we're going to stand. In a moment we're going to stand and sing. And if, if you'd like to come forward and pray, we would love for you to do so. If you'd like someone to pray with you, there's going to be uh, men and women up here. They're going to be facing you. And if you'd like them to pray with you, then just come up and ask them if, if they would pray with you. If you'd like to pray by yourself, it's open for you just to come and to kneel or to sit on the front pew and just pray. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you specifically again, men. If you're not serving your bride like Christ served his bride, maybe it's time you and, you and God had a conversation. Or maybe it's a time this morning for you to grab your wife and bring her here forward and pray and confess. I have not loved you well. The ball's in your court, man. Will you lead? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Jesus Christ that he was willing to lay his life down for me. Lord, help me personally not to be selfish. Help me personally to love you with all my heart. And Lord, as I love you, you enable me to love others. Be with those marriages in here this morning, Lord, that I know they're struggling. And I pray this morning that the men in this room would feel the need and the urgency and the conviction in their life, Lord, to come forward and and to just surrender to you, to confess to their wives, maybe to confess to their children. Start new. Lord, this morning we're reminded again of grace. And we're so thankful for the grace of Jesus in our life. Lord, we surrender these next few minutes to you. Help us to worship you and to surrender to you. Would you stand with me this morning as Dave leads us in worship this morning? Let's just worship together as a church. Feel free to come forward.